All right, so if you have ever applied for a job that required not only a resume, but also character references, then you know that people don't always trust what you say about yourself. Right? Especially if they don't know you. Right? You could say anything. You could claim to be good at anything. You could claim to be anyone. And that person doesn't know whether or not you're telling the truth. How do they figure out if you're being honest? Right? If you've um, accurately represented yourself? Well, that, that's why they need references. So other people can confirm or deny that you are the person that you say you are, that you, uh, you know, are easy to work with or have certain skills or job experience or whatever. But it's not only people who are trying to hire someone who do that. You and I do that inside and outside of work as well. We, when we're getting to know somebody, we want to know not only what they say about themselves, but also what other people say about them. And our uh, impression of them is shaped not only by how they act, but also by what other people say about them and how other people interact with them. For example, if you're looking for a mechanic, somebody might claim to be a great mechanic, but you want to know somebody who's used that mechanic before, who had a good experience before you entrust your vehicle to that mechanic, right? You want some kind of broader uh, reference or witness to that person's skill or character or ability. Now, that doesn't go away when it comes to Jesus. We want to know not only what Jesus says about himself, but what others say about him. Anybody can claim to be God. How do we know whether or not somebody claiming to be God is God or not? How do we know if Jesus is telling the truth? What do we base that on? Well, we base that not only on the words of Jesus, but also on the words of others, on the witness of others. And Jesus himself does not push back against that. He knows that's the way things work. And so what he does is he draws our attention to those people and events and things that bear witness to who he is. So that that will help us right, come to the right conclusion and a well-founded conclusion about who Jesus is. Right? Because you don't want to believe just anything that anybody says about themselves. Right? If every person who walked up to you claiming to be God, you just said, well, maybe it's true, so I'll believe them. Let's just see. Right? Then I, I, I don't trust you. <laughs> You're lacking in discernment. That's not a healthy way to live. We don't always think about it, but we have reasons why we believe in Jesus. Why we believe that he's the son of God. They may not always kind of rise to the surface. You may not be able to rattle off the top of your head. These are the top five reasons why I'm convinced that Jesus is God. But you have them. We all have them if we believe. 
And Jesus, in John chapter 5, is going to remind us of what some of those reasons are. What some of those witnesses are that help confirm that what Jesus is saying about himself is true. So let me read for us from John chapter 5, beginning at verse 30, is where we're going to pick it up. And I'm going to read down to verse 38. That's going to be our focus this morning. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have, that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent." Now, if you are not a Christian, right, you might be wondering, why do all these people believe that this man, Jesus, is actually God? And that seems like a really strange thing to believe. But I know some reasonable, rational people who believe that. What has led them to believe that Jesus is God? Or perhaps if you are a Christian... Sometimes these questions are kind of bubbling just under the surface and and, and sometimes even uh, become questions you wrestle with. Why do I believe this? How did I come to believe? Why do I believe that this is true, that Jesus is God? I, I can see how some people would look at this and think, this is crazy to believe this. But I don't think it's crazy. I do believe it, but why do I believe it? Jesus helps us understand why we should believe these things if we don't, and why we do believe these things if we do. He starts in verse 30 by sort of rehearsing what he's been saying over the last few verses when he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What he's saying there, and what he's been saying the last several verses is he's explaining his relationship with the Father. He's explaining why he can claim to be equal with God. He and the Father share the same purpose, the same will, the same intent. They are united. They are one. The Father has given all judgment to the Son. The Father uh, has uh, given the Son to have life in himself, just like God the Father has life in Himself. The Father wants everyone to honor and worship the Son the same way they worship the Father. They are distinct, but they are inseparable. They are united as one. That's why Jesus says, I can do nothing 
on my own. But the Jews have heard him claim that God is his father and that he can do what God the Father does. They understand that he's claiming to be equal with God. And many of them not only don't believe him, they think he's blaspheming. They want to put him to death. They think he is dishonoring God by claiming to be God. So Jesus is trying not only to explain to them what he's claiming. He's not claiming to be God in place of God. He's claiming to be the Son of God who's equal with God. But he's not only explaining that, he's also giving evidence. This is why you should believe. So he says in verse 31, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Now there are a couple different ways that you can take that statement or interpret that statement. He could be saying... If I'm the only one saying these things about myself, you're not going to accept my testimony as true. I know you're not going to believe me. Or he could be saying, if I'm the only one saying this, it's not true. If the Father doesn't agree with what I'm saying, then it's not true. Now the Father is agreeing with what he's saying, and that's one of the things he's going to tell us in a moment. But Jesus knows that if he is the only witness, people are not going to believe him. Why? What is the problem with a solitary witness? It's hard to know who to believe when it's just one person's word against everybody else's, right? That's why even in the Old Testament, we have this uh, principle about the importance of multiple witnesses. And we we use this in our own lives all the time, right? Uh, Go back to the resume example. How many references do people usually want you to provide? Not just one, because usually you can find one person who will say good things about you, but can you find three? Right? <laughs> That's what we want. So we want multiple witnesses. Where does that come from? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 19, <clears throat> God says this to his people. He says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. You might have somebody who just would love to see you suffer or go to jail or be put to death or whatever, and they could make up something about you. And if we convict you on just the testimony of one person, that has a lot of potential to go wrong, right? So God says two witnesses or three witnesses. That's what you need. And that doesn't apply only to criminal cases, Right? It applies to all kinds of situations. For example, Jesus applies it to church discipline in, in Matthew 18. He says, if a brother sins against you, you go and tell him his fault. Right? You're hoping that you win your brother, that you get reconciled. But if he won't listen to you, what does Jesus say to do? He says to take along with you a brother or two, so that on the testimony of two or three witnesses, right, every charge can be established. So if it has to go to the next level and you bring it to the church, it's not just your word against theirs, but there are two or three people who can say, 
We sat down together. We explained what went wrong. And he just refuses to repent. He refuses to acknowledge his sin or turn from his sin. Paul applies the same principle to pastors when he says to Timothy, Do not admit a charge against an elder or a pastor except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And again, we apply that principle in our life all the time. We're not always thinking about the fact that we're doing it, but we want to know what people say about this event or this person. And here's why this is important for our lives as Christians and for understanding faith. The Bible does not call us to believe in the absence of evidence. It doesn't. The Bible does not call us to believe in the absence of evidence. God does not just throw out some truth and say, I'm not going to give you any reason to believe that. I'm just going to tell you, you got to believe it. He doesn't work that way. Faith doesn't work that way. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark. We're not just saying, well, that could be true. It might be true. I hope it's true. I'll believe it and see if it's true. That's not how faith works. We are called to believe on the basis of evidence and reason. Now, that doesn't mean that faith is some cold, rational decision that you just like get out your legal pad, you know, and you say right at the top, believing in Jesus, pro and con, you know, and here's my evidence for, and here's my, you know, here's my doubts in the con column. If you get more in the pro than the con column, you say, well, I guess I'll believe. Just check off that box. That's, that's not how faith works either. What I am saying is that all over the Bible, God gives us reason to believe, and especially in the New Testament. The New Testament is full of the, of the accounts of witnesses who saw the things they are telling us to believe. The Gospel of John is written by one of the men who was closest to Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. He's the beloved disciple. He's the one who is leaning against Jesus at the Last Supper. He's the one that Jesus entrusted the care of his mother to when he was dying on the cross. He's not writing these stories about Jesus 400 years later based on things he's heard. He's telling us things he saw. He tells us in his letter, 1 John, that he touched Jesus. He heard him. He was physically present with him. He knew him. He is an eyewitness. That's why Peter, in Acts chapter 1, we read from earlier, when Judas had betrayed Jesus and then took his own life, Peter says, we need somebody to take Judas' place as one of the twelve. And it can't be just anybody. It has to be somebody who's been with us from the time Jesus was baptized until the time Jesus ascended into heaven so that they can be a witness to Jesus' resurrection. So that they can tell people, this is what we heard, this is what we saw, this is what you should believe. And it's not just my word, there's 
12 of us who saw all these things, and even more beyond us, who were witnesses of many of these miracles, who heard many of these teachings, who saw the things we're telling you to believe. Now this does not contradict the fact that the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Right? You can say, what? Okay, I thought faith meant believing things we hadn't seen, but you're saying there's all this evidence. Well, those are not contradictory. Because I didn't witness the things that the witnesses in the Bible are telling me about, and neither did you. We didn't see these things, but that doesn't mean we're just sort of believing on a whim. We're believing what people have borne witness to. Again, we might not always be conscious of all the reasons that we believe. But if you think back to uh, when you became a Christian, or when you first started to really begin to understand the Bible more fully as you got older, or whatever, if you look back, you will probably be able to come up with some of the reasons that you believe. Maybe there was somebody in your life that you saw how God changed them or you saw how God worked in them and they believed in Jesus. And part of what influenced you to believe was that you saw the reality of God in their life. Or it was a church that you were a part of and there was a group of people that you worshipped with that you knew they weren't perfect, but you knew they had been changed. You knew that there was something going on in their life that was real, that you wanted in your life as well. Or you read the stories of the Bible, and you thought, man, these guys, these apostles are willing to die in order to tell people about Jesus? I don't think they're making that up. So, what witnesses does Jesus draw our attention to here that show us that he's trustworthy, that he is who he says he is? Well, the first one he calls our attention to by name is John the Baptist. In verse 33, he says, You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. He's referring to back in chapter 1 when the uh, Pharisees and whatnot, they sent a group of people to John the Baptist to say, hey, who are you? You're baptizing, you've got all these people around you. What are you doing? Who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you the Christ? And he said he wasn't. But when Jesus came to be baptized by John, John bore witness to the truth about Jesus. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one who's going to die for sinners so that we can be forgiven. He said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. And he says, Jesus is the man I was talking about. He's so much greater than me, John says. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I, I shouldn't even be his servant. He tells us that he saw the Spirit descend upon Jesus. And that Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He said, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John testified to all those things. He's a witness that God sent to tell us about Jesus. 
And Jesus says in verse 34, not that the testimony that I receive is from man. That's not, you know, that's not Jesus' primary witness. But he says, I say these things so that you may be saved. I want you to believe in me. You can't be saved if you don't believe in me. I want you to believe. So I'm reminding you what John told you about me. Because, he says in verse 35, he was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. You came to John. You listened to John. You enjoyed what John was up to. Are you going to listen to what he said? Do you think he's a trustworthy witness? You seem to enjoy his ministry for a while. What about now? Not only John the Baptist, but Jesus also points to his works as witnesses to him. It's not just his words that bear witness, but also his deeds. Verse 36, he says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. What kind of works is Jesus doing? Well, so far, John's told us about Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana. He's told us about Jesus healing someone that he didn't even get near. A man came asking for Jesus to heal his son who was in another town, and Jesus just said, go, your son will live. And when the man left, he met his servants who came and told him his son had started to recover. And when he asked, when did he start to recover? The hour they told him was the exact hour that Jesus said, go, and he's going to be fine. He healed with a word. And he's done other things that, Jesus, that John has not uh, recorded for us. He's told us about other signs that he's not uh, spelled out in detail. Later, we're going to see Jesus do things like calm a storm with a word. Multiply food for people to eat. Even raise somebody from the dead. He does, in other words, the kinds of things that only God can do. The disciples, when Jesus calmed the storm by just saying, peace be still. You remember what they said to themselves? What kind of man is this? Do you know anybody who can do this kind of thing? The only person I know who can do this kind of thing is God. Jesus' works bear witness that God has sent him and that he is God's own son. Not only John, not only the works, but even the Father himself. In verse 37, he says, The Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. Now, how has the Father done that? How has the Father himself borne witness about Jesus? Well, we know that when Jesus was baptized, God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. But the people Jesus is talking to right now probably didn't hear that. What Jesus says next about how they've not heard God's voice indicates that they they didn't hear that. Later, Jesus is going to be transfigured on the mountain and James and Peter and John are going to be with him and God is once again going to speak from heaven and say, this is my beloved son 
Those men heard it. But what Jesus seems to be talking about here, when he talks about the Father's witness to him, is mainly through the Scriptures. God has borne witness to His Son through the Bible. Through the Old Testament in particular. Because in just a couple of verses, Jesus is going to say in verse 39, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about Me. Yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. And toward the end of the chapter, he's going to say, if you really believed Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, you would believe me because Moses wrote about me. If you understood the Bible, in other words, you would know who I am. Because all over the Old Testament, God the Father prepared you for my coming with prophecies and Hints and pointers all over the place. And if you understood those things, you would understand and believe who I am. Now those are some of the chief witnesses to Jesus, but they're not the only ones. Consider the witness of the apostles, who were willing to suffer and die to tell people that Jesus had risen from the dead. Consider the witness of the women who came to the tomb on that Sunday morning and found it empty. And ran to tell the disciples that Jesus was not there. Consider the witness of Pilate. Who testified before a crowd of people that he found no guilt in Jesus. Or consider the witness of creation itself as Jesus hung on the cross and the sky was darkened and there was an earthquake. God does not ask you. To believe without evidence. He does call you to believe. But he has provided a multitude of witnesses. A multitude of reasons to testify to the truth about Jesus so that you might believe. Now, why did these people not believe? The people Jesus is talking to, why did they not believe? They heard John the Baptist. They had seen... Uh, the man that Jesus healed, who'd been an invalid for 38 years. That's how this whole thing got started. Jesus healed this man and told him to pick up his mat and go home. And some of the Jews said, you can't do that. It's the Sabbath. It's not allowed. Right? And then they kind of figured out Jesus was the one who healed him. And that, that's where all this, they got mad about that. This is where all this comes from. So they've seen the evidence of Jesus' healing. They've heard the testimony of John the Baptist. They've heard Jesus himself. They have the scriptures, which they study diligently. Why don't they believe? Well, Jesus mentions three things about these people. That he says in the middle of verse 37, His voice you have never heard, His form you have never seen, and you do not have His word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So the first two things they would not have argued with. You've never heard God's voice. I don't think they would argue with that. Remember Israel heard God speak the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. And they said that was terrifying. Let's never ever do that again. Moses you go talk to God and come tell us what he says. That was a 
harrowing experience. Right? So in that sense of God speaking, that's exceedingly rare. Most people would not claim, oh yeah, I've heard God's voice, not in that way. He says, you've not seen his form. They wouldn't argue with that either. Moses got a glimpse of like the backside of God, but the Bible is clear, no one's allowed to see God's face and live. Those who even get a hint of seeing God's presence, again, are exceedingly rare. But I think they would have taken issue with the third thing Jesus said. You do not have his word abiding in you. It's not hard to imagine them saying, why do you think we're having this argument in the first place? We believe you are breaking God's word. We are so committed to God's word that we want to get rid of you because we think you're breaking God's commandments, which is probably going to get all the rest of us in trouble, and you're blaspheming God by claiming to be equal with God. It's because God's word is abiding in us that we are so upset with you. That's probably what they would have said. But it's not the truth. Jesus says you don't have his word abiding in you, For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. In other words, I can tell God's word has not really taken residence in you. Because God showed up and you want to kill him. The father sent his own son and not only do you not recognize him, you want to get rid of him. If you really had the word of God abiding in you, you would not respond this way to me. You see, sometimes people think the test of whether or not they have God's word abiding in them is how seriously they take it. But that's not the test. If that's the test, the Pharisees beat us all. Right? They took it really seriously. But they got it really wrong. What is the test of whether or not you've got God's word really abiding in you? It's how you respond to Jesus. Okay, so here's what that means. You can know what the Bible says. You can have tons of passages memorized. You can even seek to enforce the Bible's rules and yet still not have God's word abiding in you. You can know all the Ten Commandments. You can have them posted on your wall. You can teach them to your kids. But if you don't know Jesus and don't believe that he is God's son, you've missed the whole point of God's word. The whole point. Jesus did not say, really happy you guys are taking the Sabbath seriously. Just wish you would, you know, also know who I am. No. He says, you don't know God. You haven't heard God. You don't have God's word abiding in you. You search the scriptures and you're after the wrong thing, you're going at them the wrong way, you have not understood that their purpose is to point you to me. You've missed it. People are still missing it. 
They're still missing it. They're all about the law. They're all about enforcing the rules, but they don't actually know or love Jesus. They've missed the point. I don't want to miss the point. I don't want you to miss the point. The whole point of the Bible is to point you to Jesus. The scripture, the Father himself, Jesus' miracles, the testimony of John the Baptist, and so many others are all there to say, look at Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. He is the Son of God. He is equal with God. He is worthy of worship and praise and honor because He's God. He is worthy of being called my Lord and my God. That's what the whole Bible is all about. Let's pray.